right, it's good to see everybody this morning, and I'm excited to be able to preach and teach again, and I've come to learn over the years that when it comes to preaching and teaching, the one person you really want to be excited is definitely the speaker, you know what I mean? So, and I'm excited this morning. Had something weird happen last night, though. I, have, I don't know if I've ever had this happen before while I was sleeping. But I had a bug fly in my ear in the middle of the night. Has anybody ever had that happen before? I will tell you this. There's nothing that will wake you up faster (laughs) than a foreign object going in your ear like it's trying to tunnel into your brain. He would have been sorely disappointed had he got there. (laughs) But he was working his way there. And then my wife, on top of everything else, laughed at me. She laughed like I was kidding. She's like, you serious? No, I just did all of this for no apparent reason, just to entertain you. That's why I did this. So anyway, but all right, it's good to see everybody. And I'm going to continue on. I'm going to review what I've preached on the past couple times. And I told you last Sunday what I was going to preach, preach on this Sunday. And it's all going to kind of tie in together. So if, you, if you've not been here it's going to be helpful because I'm going to review a little bit and you'll kind of get on target where we're at and then I'll kind of get on, get into the, the next lesson. But the, our text verses for the, this, today's lesson is actually going to be in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Is this mic good? Is everything good with it? Is the mic good, Mike? Amen. All right, good. But with a little bit of review, we talked about Ephesians chapter 4, and the whole series really is talking about dealing with the mind and how important it is for us to understand as believers about the mind and, and realizing the, having a, a renewed mind. We talked about the, you know, in Ephesians about we have new hearts, and that's there, I don't know why there's confusion about this today and it, when, it, when the Bible is very clear that our hearts are, have been made new. And really, Paul gets into this, and he's dealing with behavior issues with, with the Ephesians, but he did not diagnose them with a bad heart. He never said that you're, the behavior that you're exhibiting that's not, you know, that's not Christian-like behavior is coming from a wicked heart. Has anybody ever heard that before? You go, well, it's your heart. It's desperately wicked. And the Bible does say that, but there's something important that happened from the time that was mentioned to now that makes it not true, and that's the fact of the cross and the new covenant. And when you understand that, it's a game changer, which I found that the gospel preached properly is a game changer. It just is a game changer. It's amazing that I got as far in my Christian life before I started realizing, man, that's in the Bible? You know, this is here. It's been here this whole time. You know what I mean? And I've been trying to do this, and it's already been done. Oh, my word. But anyway, but uh, lesson one, we talked about Ephesians 4, and we talked about mental renewal. And mental renewal is being reminded of the following truths, that we have new hearts. We've not been recreated flawed at the core of our being. Now, think about that. What sense would it make for God to recreate us flawed? You know what I mean? That'd be like rebuilding an engine with a bad piston in it. It wouldn't make any sense. So God says, you know what? Your main problem was your heart, and I'm going to make sure above all things that's going to be repaired, and that's going to be fixed. So now we've been recreated with new hearts. 
uh, Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. Although we have new hearts, we still have our flesh, and our flesh still, ha- still, uh, still has influence over us, doesn't it? How many had a hard time maybe getting up this morning? How many church be- instantly became an option the moment you opened your eyes? Now, our flesh still has influence over us, and Paul talks about this extensively. And a lot of the battles that we still struggle with are really fleshly battles uh, that, that we're dealing with when it comes to behavior and things like that, and we'll get into more of that later. But anyway, uh, Paul even made, or, or let me say this, we are worthy uh, on the merits of what Christ has done for us. That's important to understand. Worthiness, righteousness, holiness, and yes, sanctification are gifts that were given to us by Christ. Our walk or our conversation or our behavior can often not reflect our true identities. Right? It can. That's why Paul says, he told the Ephesians that walk worthy according to the vocation wherewith you're called. Why is that? Because we are worthy and we need to, we need to show that in our walk. And sometimes our walk is not worthy. At least sometimes my walks and me, your walk may be perfectly fine, but sometimes my walk is not. We are not the sum of our actions or should I say our reactions, but we are what Christ recreated us to be. And that kind of goes back to understanding that belief ultimately will determine your behavior. What you believe will determine your behavior. What do you believe about God? What do you believe God believes about you? What do you believe about the Word of God? Ultimately, belief will reflect, it will come out in your behavior. And the funny thing is, is this even, even the self-help books and stuff like that have caught on to this. I remember, is anybody ever familiar with Stephen Covey? Anybody ever read his? He was real big about paradigms. And if you've been in any kind of, you know, corporation sometime or another, uh, they probably got on the Covey bandwagon and they started talking about, you know, Steve, seven habits of highly effective people. And it's really good. I really enjoy it. And one of the things that, that Covey talks about is understanding that you're, if you want to have strides in your behavior, focus on your worldview, focus on your paradigm. And if you'll understand your paradigm, you're, if, you, if you have the proper paradigm or worldview, your behavior will automatically follow that. And he gives an illustration. It's a pretty interesting illustration. It's, it was his own personal life. He said that he was on a train and... Uh, you know, he was commuting to, commuting to work and another fella got on the train and he had several kids with him and the kids were just kind of rambunctious and going all over the place and the man was just kind of sitting there looking at the floor and wasn't doing anything to stop his kids. And, you know, they were bumping into people and people were getting agitated and people were moving and, and the longer this went on, the more Covey said he got agitated. So towards the very end, he, he was just going to kind of gently, lovingly say, hey, sir, uh, you know, your, your kids, you need to do something. I mean, they're, they're all over the place and they're irritating people. And he said the, the, the husband the, or the father looked up at him and says, oh, yeah, well, we just left the hospital and the, we just, they, the kids just lost their mother. And he says, I, I don't, they don't know how to re- react to this and neither do I. And he says instantly his, his, Covey's, his worldview went from, you know, frustrated to now concerned to now compassionate, to now understanding. And why is that? Because he got a paradigm shift. He got to see it for what it really is. 
Now, I will say this, and I'm not preaching the Stephen Covey gospel by no means, but I will say even he identifies the importance of understanding the worldview and understanding that your belief will determine your behavior. The difference is when it comes to the gospel, see, Covey puts, or these self-help books put the help or put the truth out there that you have to find and collect. When it comes to the gospel, we know the gospel puts the truth in here for us to discover. And it's already there. It's in the heart. But even though we live in this flesh, uh, we are not our flesh. Thank God. We live in this body, but this body's not who you really are. It's not the core of your identity. Paul addressed behavior. Now listen to this. I sent this to Brother Justin this morning. Paul addressed behavior issues with the Ephesians by inviting them to look back at the cross to remind them what Jesus did right instead of telling them to go to an altar and reflect on what they have done wrong. That's the gospel. It's us looking back and saying, you know what, he got it right. Instead of come on down here and let's make it all right at the old-fashioned altar. Amen. We like to keep it old-fashioned, right? I don't know. I just remember that's the way it was always related to, old-fashioned. Last week, lesson two, we were in Romans and Paul continue, continued these same thoughts in Romans. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Mental renewal is me being reminded of the following truths. Truth is our bodies or our flesh are not always on board with what the Spirit is leading, is it? No, it's not. It's not always on board. But does that change who I am? No. Because who, who am I? I'm exactly what God told me I am. I'm not a flesh. I am a spirit that has a soul that lives in this body that's not always on board. But when it comes down to change, Paul brings out a very, a very important truth. Here in Romans, and that is conforming through performing will never lead to transforming. When the world wants to change you, all it can do is take all the pressure and the burden of change on the outside of you and try to press it on you to change. God says, that's not how I work. I transform you. I take and I go on the inside and I make a change and I watch how salvation works out of you because it was placed in you. When it comes to change, I would watch and I used last, last week I talked about the addiction program I was a part of and, and learning about people coming to try to get freedom and break free from the chains of addiction and how very quickly I saw that the truths that were Bible-based and gospel principles were, was, was truly helping them to, to, to understand who they were. But then at the tail end of it, it was like we were trying to get them to, well, all right, well, now get your King James Bible and get your tie and start coming, you know, start coming to Sunday school, start giving your tithe. And we'd get them right on track with all the things that we were used to doing. And, and what we were doing, we went from them understanding they've been transformed to very quickly trying to conform them to our stripe of Christianity. Has anybody ever been there before? Yes, we have. That's why we're here. Amen. That's why we're here. 
Conforming is a strategy for change that does not work. We receive revelation from the Spirit about our new identities in Christ when we begin uh, we understand when we begin to we, we, we begin to experience true transformation when you understand these things. And this week we're going to talk about 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is very interesting. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there or flip there or phone there or whatever you're going to end up doing. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5 says this. He says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, till the pulling down of strongholds. Now notice what he says here. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And let me pray real quick and we'll get into the new lesson today. Father, we thank you so much. We're thankful for what has been experienced here this morning because of you and your spirit. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful to know that where your spirit is, there is liberty, there is freedom. We're free to be who you've made us to be. And Father, we just thank you so much that we can come and celebrate this morning a finished work. Lord, I can't think of anybody in here that probably does not need encouragement. I can't think of anybody here that doesn't need to be reminded of a finished work. I can't think of anybody in here this morning that is not hungry to just be reaffirmed about the belief of knowing that the gospel's not just something we believe. It is a person. It is somebody that we love. It's somebody we have relationship with. And Father, we're thankful. I pray that you use me this morning to be able to shed light and even revelation on an important topic of being attacked spiritually with our minds. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the lesson I'm going to share with you today has been probably, when I learned this, has been one of the most liberating lessons for me to be able to understand this. Um, you know, once again, Paul is dealing with behavior regarding the church of Corinth, and in the process of teaching them, reminds them of spiritual warfare. And we have to understand that. You, 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 whether you realize it or not, you dealt with spiritual warfare this week. And whether you realize it or not, or you feel prepared for it or not, you're going to deal with it this week. And when I describe to you what Paul is saying, you're going to say, you know what? You're right. You're exactly correct. Now, you know, this isn't like Ghostbusters or anything like that. You know what I mean? We're, we're just going to, it's just a reality of, of what we deal with in our country. Or I said our country, our world. I'm sorry. I almost got political there for a second. Anyway. But well, we see some of that sometimes, you know, even in our country. But anyway, I think it is important to be reminded that there is spiritual warfare taking place all around us, and we do have an enemy. Our, I think it's also important that our battle is not a fleshly battle, but a spiritual battle. And, and by the way, it's not a political battle. It, it isn't. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we, we fight a spiritual, there's a spiritual battle that, that we're dealing with across this world. And by the way, one thing about going to other countries, and I've been to, I've been to Mexico, I've been to Puerto Rico, uh, both in like a missions type of a situation. One thing that will help you appreciate and love America more is go to another country. And when you want to sense evil, you can see and sense the evil that's at play in these other countries. 
And you start, you know, you start looking around and say, man, something's missing. What is it? It's the very, it's, it's the fact that there's evil all around. And we, we enjoy, and it's not necessarily God's blessing upon our country. It's that, it's that we have a, an abundance of people that believe in the power of God and Christianity. And that's what will change and help. But anyway, that's about as political as I'm going to get. All right. Verse 5, Paul tells us where, where the battle is taking place. And that's all that he says in the mind. For years I would take, I'd look at verse 5 and I would ask the question, how is it possible to bring every thought of every moment of every day to Jesus? Notice what he says in verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. I don't know about you, but this sounds like a daunting task, don't it? Sounds like, how am I going to do this in work? How am I going to do this in parent? How am I going to do this? You know what I mean? This is, this is something that seems to be a very, uh, you know, I mean, labor-intensive thing that I'm going to have to deal with. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I kind of would look at that for years like I looked at praying without ceasing. And I was like, yeah, right, Lord. And drive? Okay, that's safe. I might as well text and drive. Pray without ceasing. And, you know, I would ask those questions, how? How is this possible? But I was always asking the wrong question. The question isn't how. The question is why. Why? Why would I need to do this? Why is this an important thing for me to understand? Now, the reason why, I, the reason I was asking how is because the majority of my Christian experience, I was taught to look at the Bible that way. I was taught to look at the Bible as God's handbook to happiness. Amen, brother. You know what I mean? This is it. It's all about God's principles, and we need to get in there and get the recipe and tweak that recipe and get it just right so we can bend the arm of God so he's going to bless us and all things are going to be happy. And You know what I mean? That's how I was taught to look at Scripture was how. The process. Find the process. Find what they did here and try to replicate that. You know what I mean? That's the, the how. But the question is, why? Why is this important? Why was the right question to ask? Because it's asking why we get the greater truth for spiritual warfare. And this is the thing here, and don't miss this. The reason we should ask why is because not every thought that comes to your mind belongs to you. Let me say that again. Not every thought that comes in your brain comes from you. Think about that. Not every thought. I used to be living my life trying to do right by the Lord and all of a sudden get, get a crazy thought come in my head. Anybody ever had that happen before? And next thing you know, you're like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And God's like, what are you apologizing for? You know what I'm saying? That didn't come from you, but it sure affects me like it did, didn't it? Not every thought that comes to you comes from you. See, the enemy knows where he can wreak havoc in our lives, and the mind is that place. Notice what Paul says in verse 5. He says, casting down imaginations. What are those? Those are just thoughts. And he says, high thing. What is that? Barriers. 
barriers, barriers that are built. Uh, right now, what I find when it comes to people that I'm trying to, I shouldn't say lure to God. I used to, the way it used to be, you know, trying to witness to people was luring. Come on, come, come, come see God. I have God over here. That's the way it used to be, but I don't look at it that way anymore. You know what I mean? Please come, come see God. See that? See that was kiss the ring. That was my kiss the ring moment from last week. There you go. I don't know where these things come from, and I'm preaching on this very subject. But I like to illustrate things in a way you can understand. Come see God. But I find that right now, the hardest thing is for people to get over the barriers that they have built and the devil has built, and religion has built, that they don't think they can get over. And we say, look, God loves you. And they're like, look, I want to believe that, but you don't understand the barrier that's between me and God. And I say, no, the gospel took care of this, and this is how he did it. And they say, you know what, that sounds like great news, but you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what I didn't do, and on and on it goes. But here Paul says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. What we think about God and what God thinks about us is where the enemy is trying to influence us, especially as believers. Now, to the lost, it says he's already blinded to the minds of those that believe not. But when it comes to us, he's, he's trying to take all these crazy thoughts and all these past experiences, and he's trying to build that wall constantly. And religion definitely doesn't help. How does, the, how does he do this? He introduces thoughts to us and tries to tell us they came from us in order to get between us and the Father. That's how he does it. Introduces a thought, says it come from us. And see, religion and false teaching doesn't help because then we get told at church that we got wicked hearts. And that we really are wicked. We're, we're truly wicked. You, you, but only thing, the only reason why God's going to tolerate you is you're covered in his blood. That's it. No, his blood washed us white as what? Snow. And we would sing, you know what I mean, that you know, there, there's power in the blood, but apparently it's not enough power to wash us clean like the Bible says. And our sins are as far as the east from the west. He says, your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. And we still feel like sin is now an issue when God put an exclamation point when it comes to sin with the work on the cross. And it's no longer an issue, technically, with God. But I tell you where it is an issue, right here. The big issue. We make it an issue. Thoughts, the best way to illustrate it is like this. Thoughts are like visitors to your home. Now, let me time out here because I always got the one person that comes to me after I say this and say, well, ain't nobody getting to my door. I got a fence and a hungry dog I don't feed and I got a gun and you know what I mean? Let's pretend for a moment you live in a neighborhood where you don't have a fence and a salesperson can walk right to your door. Let's, are, are we all there mentally? Okay. Let's pretend we all live there. We're all neighbors. Because I used to live in one of these neighborhoods, and I do have dogs. And if you're going to get to my house, my dogs don't like you, you better have faith in God. Because they're going to scare the heck out of you. But anyway, thoughts are like, are like visitors to your house. You don't have control who knocks on the door. You open the door. 
Well, look who it is. It's fear. Hey, honey, fear's at the door. He's here. Should we let him in? Well, you know what? We are having a tough time right now. Might as well go ahead and bring him in. Might as well entertain him for a little bit. Because, you know, I just, I don't know if it's all going to work out. You know what I mean? God might not know what he's doing. You know, I didn't anticipate this. I looked on my, 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 my map for life, and I wasn't expecting on being in this spot this time. But I'm here. Must be lost. God must not be on the throne. See, fear at the door. You don't have, you don't have control of fear comes and knocks on your door. But you have control whether or not you, you allow him in and entertain him. Come on, fear. Come here. Sit down. Sit down, fear. I got to talk to you because, man, I just got some crazy news. You know what I mean? You, you, don't, you don't have control. You, you, you. I have not. I mean, I'll be working my day and all of a sudden just have thoughts like it's not going to work out. I don't know where it come from. You know what I mean? It's, it's all going to fall apart. Or better yet, you know what? It's going too good. <laughs> How in the world can it go in good scare you to death? But you got to keep bad news at arm's reach. But what does Timothy say? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. Now, if you want to dig into the, what he's talking about here, the word spirit of fear can literally be interpreted as a demonic spirit. If you, if you really want to go there, it's the same definition. That fear can come to you demonically and, and, and get you to start doubting what God has said. Look, you don't need to be doubting this. Or better yet, open the door, it's condemnation. Hey, hon, condemnation's at the door. And your wife, like my wife's good, let him in. You need to talk to him. <laughs> I called him yesterday. He'd come over to talk. <laughs> Should we let him in? Paul told the Romans, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. That knock comes, and it's coming constantly. We can't control it. Then we get, open the doors, discontentment. Discontentment's there. Honey, I know discontentment's there. Should we let them in? I like what Paul told the Philippians. Chapter 4, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned that in whatsoever state I am, therefore to be content. Notice he says, I learned this. This is something that I learned. Now, what, what, what was his teacher? Life was his teacher. Circumstances were his teacher. Shipwrecks were his teacher. Being stabbed in the back was his teacher. Death threats was his teacher. Living in this crazy fallen world that we're all a part of 
was his teacher. And he says, I have learned that what I have to deal with in this world and the very truths that the Spirit of God is bringing out to me, the real lessons to be learned in this, I have learned that in whatsoever state that I am, therewith to be content. And he says, I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then we know this famous verse, don't we? I can do what? All things through Christ, which strengthens me. It's funny how when you read those first few verses, it kind of puts this one in a whole different perspective, doesn't it? What was he saying here? He says, this, this is what I've learned. That no matter what I go through, Christ is there, to, to, is my strength. We often have a problem discerning between what is religious and then also what are spiritual thoughts. You know what I mean? Spiritual. That's what we are. We're spiritual beings. We left religion. We often have a problem. Oh, let, let me say this. I was going to illustrate this, and, and I was kind of throw this out here. But, you know, in my personal thoughts when it comes to Scripture now, is I really believe it was religion that the serpent was trying to sell, sell Eve in the garden. Amen. That's what he was selling. And, you know, the knowledge of goodness at the expense of righteousness. Goodness. You know, it's that country song, you know, I believe most people are good. I, I believe there's truth in that song. But I understand this. It's not just goodness that this world needs. This world needs life. Lost people can be good, but it needs life. And I believe the serpent came and tried to sell religion to Eve, and she bought it. And we like to say, well, you know, she just disobeyed God. No, she was... She was she had a question put on her. The serpent says, look, no, you're a question mark. Don't you understand that? God doth know. In the day, you're lacking something. You need this. If you'll do this, then God will be more happy with you. When in reality, God was pleased with her. That's what religion does. Religion says, look, you can't, you can't enjoy God. You don't do the very things that we do for God. So how in the world could you have a relationship with God? Kiss the ring. Amen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, bring we, we bring thoughts <clears throat> that were war warring against my knowledge of God to Christ obedience. That's important to understand. Because really what's generally served up most Sundays is how obedient we have been this week. Let me see your report card. How did we do this week? Did we hand out tracts? Check. Did we pray? Check. Did we give? No, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. Did we tithe? That's number one. Boom. Did we, you know what I mean? We go through the report card. Did we do these things? But we come every Sunday to celebrate the obedience of Christ. It's his obedience. I know I'm lacking. Amen. I know, I, I know my report card, there's, some, there's a few A's, B's, C's, D's, whatever, but when it comes to his report card, it was perfect. It's all about his obedience, amen, his faithfulness, his dedication. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, or let me say this, what does the gospel teach us about his obedience? Look what he says in Philippians. He says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant it was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. Hallelujah. His obedience. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. You see it now how the devil works? He can't change your identity, but he can make you think your identity has changed. He plays, he likes to play that game. He likes to use the mind. He likes to throw them fiery darts, needless to say, that we find when it comes to the armor of God, which one of the things he does mention is the helmet of salvation, you know what I mean, that we put on. And by the way, let me say this. Do you realize you have the armor of God? The armor, you, you have it? You know, I used to, well, all right, Lord, I spiritually put on the helmet of salvation and I, I'm praying on the, you know, the breastplate of righteousness. You have, you, it's on you. It's there. You know what I mean? You don't keep it in a closet and then break it out and fall when you can actually wear it without sweating to death. <laughs> it's there. We'll learn about this more later, but it's, you have it on. But just, I guess the Lord kind of led me, I was, and I'll end with this. You know, it's funny, the Lord gave, gave Justin a healing. The Lord gave me the word anxiety. <laughs> you know what I mean? He gave me, I don't know why, but he said, look up the definition of anxiety. And let me, let me read you what it says. This is Google textbook definition of anxiety. A feeling of worry, nervousness, unease. Typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. We live in a, in a society today where we're plagued with this. And what's the solution? The gospel. Amen. The gospel's it. Now, don't you ever worry, Brother Ben? All the time. I worry. But I don't have to worry long. At least I got a foundation I can step back and say, all right, we're still strong. Still good. Yeah, God's still strong. He, we, we, there's a firm foundation here. Every now and then I thought the Holy Spirit was going to come to me about grace and say, psych! You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's go back to law. You've messed, you've messed it all up. But the more I dig into it, I'm just like, man, it just gets better and better and better. And the foundation's strong, and God is still good. And when life comes at you with these unplanned circumstances, when they come at you, and they will, and you get bad news, and your soul responds to bad news the way your soul can respond to bad news with fear and, and worry, and then you get your mind focused on the truth of God and who God is, and you're his child, and that, you know what I mean, this isn't all we're ever going to know, and that his kingdom is here, then you start finding yourself being able to say, you know what, you might be knocking on the door of fear, but I'm not bringing you in to entertain you any longer. 
I only got this much sweet tea left, and I'm drinking it myself. (laughs) Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Lord, your word wouldn't be much without your spirit to be able to be able to be the guide or the true teacher for us. I'm thankful to know that your spirit is not limited of our education, our understanding of being able to read your word, that your spirit is teaching all across this great world right now, maybe some of the very same lessons that were mentioned this morning. But I believe out of all the lessons that could be learned, the important lesson of realizing that God so loved the world that he gave, that our Father is a true giver, and that he wants all of us to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Father, I just pray in a time that we live where the devil is having a heyday with lies, with fear, and even coming into the church with religion to be able to try to cast doubt in believers' mind about your love for them. Lord, we just pray that, Lord, you just give revelation. May you continue to open the hearts and the minds of those that have been broken in religion, that they can understand what it's like to have true relationship. And it's not a process. It's just understanding the person. May we continue in the gospel the way we received it, and that is just by faith, trusting. In Jesus' name, amen.